As we go about our lives day by day, nothing does your heart more good than to meet someone who's always bright, someone who's always cheerful, someone that's got a smile on their face, a song in their heart, and a word of kindness for everyone they meet. And conversely, I can't think of anything sadder than to always be around people that look at the dark side of everything. People that are doom and gloom and always looking at a worst case scenario about something. People who can't ever see the good in anything and they can't ever see the good in anybody. Folks that are always looking for something that they can complain about. Someone that's always looking for something negative to say about somebody else. You boil it down to its simplest terms, and there are only two kinds of people in this world. You have pessimists, and you have optimists. You have those two classes of people in Every organization you'll ever find, you'll have those two in every congregation of the Lord's people you'll ever find. The pessimist. The pessimist is the person that sees only the dark side of things. The person that's always looking for something to kind of grumble about or murmur about or complain about. The person that can never understand how any particular project can be undertaken or started. And then there's the optimist. And the optimist can see the good in things. The optimist is the person that sees the brighter side of life. They are the ones that are willing to do everything they can to make every worthwhile undertaking be successful. You see the difference in optimistic people and pessimistic people in the way that they Look at things. As the old expression goes, you let an optimist and a pessimist look at a rose bush, and the optimist is going to say, wow, what a beautiful flower. And the pessimist is going to say, look at all those thorns. Truth be told, I'd like to see the hands of all those in here this morning that would like to be labeled as a pessimist. That's what I thought. We really don't want to be labeled as a pessimist. And yet, over the years, I've actually discovered that you need both kinds of people. They're necessary. Because both kinds of people make the world we live in a better place. The optimist says, I'm going to fly someday. You'll see, I'm going to fly. And so, optimists like the Wright brothers invented the airplane. It was a pessimist that invented the parachute. Now, when you think about it, an optimist and a pessimist, they kind of go together. I really don't want one without the other. The optimist says, my cup runneth over, what a blessing. And the pessimist says, my cup runneth over, what a mess. You see, it's like the optimist. Did you hear about the optimist that fell off the roof of a hundred-story skyscraper? This optimist fell off the roof of a hundred-story 
skyscraper. And at the 50th floor, somebody leans out a window and says, how's it going? He said, so far, so good. Here's the thing. It's our attitude that makes all the difference in people. An optimist sees the donut. The pessimist sees the hole in the middle of the donut. It's a golden trait of character to be able to discover the good and not the bad in other people. An old lady one time that the story goes had a reputation of finding the good in everyone that she came in contact. And one day there were some boys in the neighborhood where she lived that decided they'd put this old lady to the test. And they challenged her. And they said, Miss so-and-so, I bet you can't find anything good to say about the devil. She looked at them. She smiled. She said, well, he is always busy, isn't he? If I wanted to this morning, and I wanted to be a pessimist, and I wanted to be a grouch, and I wanted to be a carping critic, or a fault finder, I could find something wrong. I could find something bad to say about everybody that's assembled here today. I could really find things to criticize about those that aren't here this morning. If you wanted to, you could find something bad to say, something critical to say about me. A lot of folks have over the years. Sometimes they've even said it to my face, Leon. I had a man the other day looked at me and he said, you know, Tim, I don't want to hurt your feelings, but you're starting to show your age. Can you imagine that? Can you imagine anything more hurtful than looking at a man and say, saying, you know, you're, you're really starting to show your age. I thought, hand me my walking stick and I'll just mosey along now, you know. The other side of it is this. If I want to look for the good things <clears throat> that you've done, and I want to find something good to say about you. I can find something good to say about every person that's here this morning. I can say, you're here. You're in worship. That's a good thing. This characteristic is not something new. It's not just something that's peculiar to our day and time. Let's just suppose I wanted to hide all the good qualities of someone's life. And I want to magnify all the bad things about someone's life. I could paint for you some of the darkest pictures you have ever seen of some Bible characters. That's what I want to do for a few moments this morning. I want to see just how easy it is. To look for the bad in somebody and make their life seem dark and evil and sinister. I want us to see just how easy it is to paint someone as an evildoer, if that's what we want to do. 
The story of Joseph is told in Genesis chapters 30 through 50. It's a rather lengthy reading, but if you'll turn there, we're going to read those 20 verses. I'm kidding. The story of Joseph is told in Genesis chapters 30 through 50. Now let's hear from the grouch, the fault finder, the pessimist, the moat hunter. Joseph, you want to tell me about Joseph? I'm going to tell you something. Quite frankly, I have absolutely no use for Joseph. You know, Joseph was his father's favorite. He was the pet. Remember that beautiful coat of many colors, that sport coat Jacob made for him? He was such a pet to his father. He was so obviously his father's favorite. He made all of his brothers hate him. He didn't get along well at home. Quite honestly, Joseph was not a man that played well with others. Then, you, you think about what happened when his brothers sold him into slavery. He gets down to Egypt and a man gives him a job as an overseer in his home. This man trusted Joseph so much that he trusted Joseph with everything he owned. And how do you think Joseph repaid that trust? Well, being the sorry low life that he was, he made a pass at the man's wife. Well, at least that's what they said about him. And it must have been true because after all, he got thrown in the prison dungeon because of it. I'll be honest with you. I have no use for Joseph. And I'm not going to have anything to do with a man like that. That's the way the pessimist, the grouch, the fault-finding moat hunter is going to talk about Joseph. Okay, now let's talk about Joseph in the eyes of someone that looks for the good in others. The person that would say, I know something good about you. You know, I'm going to tell you about Joseph. I've looked at his life very carefully. And if you want to see the life of a good man, a really good man, you need to look at the life of Joseph. Joseph is a perfect example of the purest manhood that you will ever find. He went through all kinds of suffering. And through all of his suffering, Joseph remained loyal to God. You know, when he was down in Egypt, he was the, over everything that Potiphar had in his house. And Mrs. Potiphar, she kept throwing herself at Joseph. I mean, it was a daily thing. She was spending every day, Mrs. Potiphar was trying to get Joseph to sleep with her. But Joseph would not betray his God, and Joseph wouldn't betray his master. Well, you know what they say about a woman scorned. She eventually lied about Joseph. She had him thrown into prison because he kept refusing to sleep with her. And yet, through all of his suffering, through all of his time in the prison, Joseph remained loyal to God. Later, he achieved success, if you'll recall. He was appointed prime minister of Egypt, and he gave God the glory for it. 
why Joseph even saved his people and actually preserved a posterity for them in the earth. And his brothers came down to Egypt. The brothers that had sold him into slavery and Joseph found it in his heart to forgive his brothers for everything they'd done to him. How do we look at a person's life? Do we look at the good in it? Or do we look for the bad? When we find the bad, emphasize it and make sure we tell other people about it. Or think about the story of David. Oh my goodness. 1 Samuel chapter 16 through 1 Kings chapter 2. I'm not going to read that all today either. I want you to listen to the fault-finding, carping critic, pessimistic grouch talk about David. Trust me. This person is not going to paint a picture of David that's pretty to look at. You say to him, well, let's talk about David. David? David? Don't you dare even mention that man's name in my presence. David's not the kind of man I ever want to be associated with. I can't stand him. There was a man in the army. David was the king and there was a man in the king's army that had gone to war. And David took his wife. She ended up pregnant. David had the man killed just to try to hide his sin. David? (laughs) David is nothing more than a low-life, wife-stealing, husband-killing piece of human garbage. That's what I think about David. A reprobate of the highest order. Somebody I want absolutely nothing to do with. Turn it around. Listen to someone that has a heart of love talk about David. Someone who says, I know something good about you. I know David sinned. I know David did wrong. I know David took Uriah's wife and he had Uriah killed. But I also know that the Bible tells us he's a man after God's own heart. You remember God's man Nathan came to David? And God's man Nathan looked David straight in the eye and he called his sin to his attention. He told David, he said, David, you've sinned. And when David was confronted with that sin, what did he do? He had the manhood to confess that sin. And he confessed it with tears. And he confessed it with pleadings. His heart was broken and it was contrite. Yes, David sinned. And yes, David sinned grievously. But David repented of that sin. David gave us the Psalms that have cheered millions of pilgrims along life's journey. The writings of David, those are writings that give us hope in the valley of the shadow of death. You know, I remember when Jesus was on this earth. You remember Jesus was on this earth and they brought, early one morning they brought to Jesus a woman that had been caught in the act of adultery. She was sobbing at His feet. 
And Jesus told her accusers that day. He said, let the one that's without sin among you be the one that cast the first stone. Could we not in that same way? Could we not say, let the ones that is without sin, the one who's perfect, let that be the one to speak the first word. Let that be the one to find the first fault. Let that person be the one to be the first to grumble about things and the person that's doing them. Okay, so David was a good guy. Well, what about Peter? Let's talk about Peter. You remember Peter? He was the apostle, as I always say, with the foot-shaped mouth. He was the one that if you actually read the gospel stories, well, Peter actually thought he was kind of a cut above the others, you know. A little full of himself. Peter was haughty. He was proud. He was always boasting. You remember the night Jesus was betrayed. A little earlier he had said, Lord, everybody else may forsake you, but I won't. And yet he was following at a safe distance when Jesus was betrayed. Because he didn't want anyone to think he was associated with Jesus. And that same night, he'd spent three years with Jesus, but he lost his temper, drew his sword, and cut off a man's ear that night. And then, standing and warming himself by the devil's fireside, associating with those that had betrayed Jesus and those that had crucified Jesus, he denied Jesus three times. He started cursing and swearing. I don't have any use for Peter. He was a blowhard. And he was a coward. And as far as I'm concerned, he's less than useless. Okay? What does the person with the heart of love say about Peter? Yes, I remember that night. I remember Peter denied Jesus. I also remember that when Jesus looked at Peter and Peter caught his eye, Peter went out and wept bitterly because of what he had done. The fault finder doesn't see Peter weeping bitterly. The fault finder doesn't see Peter rushing to the empty tomb the first day of the week. The fault finder doesn't see Peter coming back with courage and preaching that great sermon on Pentecost. Those looking for the worst in Peter, they don't see his boastfulness vanish into humility. Now here's the great question this morning. What kind of heart do you have? What kind of heart do I have? What does our heart look like this morning? Are we always looking for the worst in others? Are we always looking for the faults and the worst things we can say about our brothers and our sisters and our fellow man? If we're looking for the worst in other people, guess what? You're quite likely going to find it 
Well, finding it. Do we point it out to others with joy and gladness and especially to those outside the church? Can we see any good in our brother or our sister? Look for it. It's there. And when you look for the good in someone else, and when you find the good in someone else, say, I know something good about you. Speaking kind words about others dispels the gloom in their lives. Speaking kind words to others and about others, you're going to see feeble knees lifted up. And you're going to see discouraged, disheartened, downtrodden folks take on a whole new life. This old world we live in needs love. The brotherhood needs love. The church needs love. Here's what Peter said in 1 Peter chapter 1, verse 22. Seeing you have purified your souls in obeying the truth through the Spirit, unto unfeigned love of the brethren, listen to it, here it is, see that you love one another with a pure heart fervently. Or here's what Paul would write to the church at Rome. Romans 12 and verse 9 and Romans 12 and verse 15. Let love be without dissimulation. Abhor that which is evil and cleave to that which is good. Rejoice with them that rejoice and weep with them that weep. You know, I'm grateful this morning. I'm grateful that as God looked down from His throne in heaven, God didn't look for the worst in me. But God saw some good in me. God saw some good in mankind. Suppose God had looked at man in his sin and had looked upon men and women in their sin as we often look at other people today. If God had looked for the worst in us, I'm quite certain He would have never sent Jesus to die for us. But you know what? God from His throne in heaven looked down and He saw me and He saw you. He saw all the teeming millions of earth's unborn race and God saw some good in mankind. God saw some possibilities. So He sent Jesus Christ to this earth. He sent Jesus Christ to save us from our sins, to reconcile us back to Him and make us fit subjects for that home in heaven someday. That home that belongs to those who make Jesus Christ the Lord and Master of their lives. If you haven't done that, this is your opportunity to do it as together we stand and while we sing.